For the Millers, movie nights were once tradition. Now Sarah could hardly get through the opening credits, not on that old couch. But one day while shopping on QVC.com, she learned Lazy Boy recliners had slimmed down a bit. And in just a few clicks, Sarah got her Lazy Boy chair and a popcorn maker and a soundbar by Bose. And with one quick trip to QVC.com, Movie Night and Sarah's Back were saved. Shop QVC.com slash podcast and use code QVC20podcast for $20 off $40 for new customers. This is shopping brought to life. El drama de los impuestos ya empezó. Ya no, porque Boost Mobile te da gratis un Samsung Galaxy A23 5G cuando te cambias y con el poder de las redes 5G más grandes del país. No más drama. ¿Qué será de mí? Cámbiate a Boost y llévate un Samsung Galaxy A23 5G gratis. Oferta por tiempo limitado, solo nuevos clientes, disponible en ciertas redes. El servicio 5G no está disponible en todas partes. Un dispositivo por línea excluye impuestos. Aplican restricciones adicionales. Visita una tienda para detalles. Hello, friends. I'm back again. <laughs> I love doing this podcast, man. Um, welcome back to the New Evangelicals podcast. Okay, this episode, I have Ben Kramer. I just did the interview. I wanted to do this intro video now while it's fresh in my mind. I'm not sure what, what I'm going to label this episode yet, but one of my current thoughts is labeling this episode the Evangelical Manifesto because Ben brings to life the history of the early evangelical movement, and it's probably a history you never heard of before. And spoiler alert, it looks nothing like the current version of evangelicalism in America. So Ben and I kind of do uh, a big you know, surface 10,000 foot view of, of some of the big names in the evangelical movement, what they stood for, what they were actively fighting against. And at the end of the episode, we kind of talk about how we kind of got to where we are today. But this is definitely an episode where I have to have Ben back to go deeper because truly friends, there's so much here. And to, to know that we stand on such solid ground as people who have come before us in the evangelical tradition, to me, just gives me life. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode. That being said, I just want to say, as always, thank you to everyone who is sharing that this podcast, sharing the episodes. If you're watching on YouTube and you subscribe, thank you so much. If you're listening on, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, thank you so much. It is a huge help whenever people share this podcast. So if this episode speaks to you, if you can share it on your story or on a post or, or share it to a friend and give this episode a review and a rating on, on Apple podcasts or on YouTube, it would just be a, a, a ginormous help to us. I, I'm so grateful for everyone who has, who has done that. Also, don't forget, if you want to get more involved, we can always use financial support. The New Evangelicals is completely crowdsourced. We don't do paywalls. We don't do anything behind um, some kind of fee. Everything we offer is totally free to our audience and to our community. So if you feel like giving money might be good, we'll take it. So <laughs> I would love that. That'd be just super helpful. It covers all of our costs, our Zoom, you know, the, the stuff I say all the time, the website, um, our, our social media stuff, my time, all all that good stuff. So the link is in the show notes or in the description below. And yeah, friends, without further ado, check out this episode with Ben. I hope you enjoy it. Ben, we're doing this again. You know, I don't know if people understand the story between you and I, because I discovered you 
Not that I'd like, I didn't discover you in the sense of like a manager discovers raw talent. I'm saying I found you. All right, let's, let's restart this. Oh my goodness. Okay, let me restart. Ben! <laughs> I want to tell this story though. It's, it, it's a good story. So I found you on Facebook. I mean, it had to be close to a year ago now. And I yeah. was like, oh, oh shoot. I like this guy, this Ben guy, this Benjamin dude. He's he's saying some good stuff. I I, I liked it, and then I like added you as a friend. I, I was always like, dude, I love what this guy says. I think it's so good. And then I forgot how, but somehow I think I reached out to you, and I said, Yo, dude, do you want to come on my my podcast? Which at the time was my old podcast, the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast. Right. Yes. Right. And you came on, and you were OG. We the OG. And we had this great conversation. I remember being there like, oh my goodness, like this guy knows his stuff. I can listen to him talk all day. And then our friendship out of that, that's how our friendship was born. Seriously, it's been awesome. It really has been. (laughs) And now we're in a group chat with some other people. It's great. Yeah. And I've just been an admirer of you and your work since the beginning too. Just to see how New Evangelicals has taken off and what God's been doing with that. Like creating a space for people who feel safe enough to air their doubts and their critiques and their questions. Like that's a space that's really needed in the church. So I, I'm just, yeah. I think we're just fangirling on each other. <laughs> the audience is like vomiting, like, all right, guys, get over it. All right. We're yeah. done hearing yeah. you. It's like when celebrities are like, no, you're the better celebrity. No, you're the better celebrity. It's like, Oh, I'm going to vomit. So enough of that. So Ben, yeah. let's do this. I, we have a lot to get to in this episode. I've asked you on this episode for a specific reason, but before we hop into it, give us the quick journey. Like, what's your background? What did you study? What are you doing now? Give us that background for for everyone here. Sure, sure. So I uh, I began my pursuit of pastoral ministry in college age. I got a degree in Christian ministry, and in in the midst of that, I fell in love with history and philosophy. And so I went on to get a master's in what's called spiritual formation and. No, it's not a Hogwarts degree, I promise. <laughs> it, it, it really looks at how spirituality is formed within the individual. Um, and it takes philosophical notions of human nature and things like that. But then I really wanted to pursue church history. And so mm-hmm. that was my next master's degree. And I looked at church history from like year 100 to uh, the 21st century. So that's that's wow. a really long timeline. Yeah. Just looking at some of the overall big picture factors there. Um, and I've just had such a deep love and craving for history ever since. Um, and so I did, I did my focus mostly on the enlightenment period. Cause I mm. saw how much that impacts, uh, 19th and 20, 20th, 21st century Christianity, yeah. especially in the American context. And so that's where I kind of have been giving a lot of my focus, um, academically in the pastoral sense, I've seen that impact my ministry as well, where I can kind of connect some of those historical factors that is uh, contributing to the church movement today. Cool. I love that. You know, it's interesting. I've always been um, personally a more like futuristic thinker, but yeah. the past maybe five or six years, I've kind of had this, um, I'll say amateur fascination 
with history because I'm realizing that there really is nothing new under the sun. And we can really trace back a lot of uh, the foundational beginnings that got us to where we are now, especially in America with the evangelical movement. And I I found it just so interesting and also so helpful to know that, like, you know, some of my hunches are either way off or they're they're correct. And history is a great way of doing that. So, you know, one of the things that that I've, I've gotten critiqued over, and it's a fair critique, is, you know, some people are like, listen, Tim. I understand you have this new evangelicals thing, but why new evangelicals? You know, like evangelicalism, it's like nationalists, and right now it's really gross, and they all like Tucker Carlson, and you know <laughs> what? You know, they're just kind of like it's it, evangelicalism now stands for things that I don't think it stood for in the beginning. And I would always say, like, listen, you know, I understand that, and, and to be fair, I, I didn't know this history till more till recently. So at the time, I would say I hear that, but I just think that you know, like, like the idea of an evangelical, someone who proclaims good. News that's worth trying to trying to at least uh, reclaim or, or save in some way, shape, or form. So I, you, you, you're the one actually who, who told me, Tim, this book, Discovering an Evangelical Heritage. It's a must read. So I picked it up for like four dollars. Okay, it's like 110 pages. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's such an easy read. Yeah. And the author, I'm blanking on his name. What's the what's the author's name? Uh, Donald Dayton. Thank you. He yeah. says in the book, I think he's writing like in the 1960s. He's like, yeah. listen, there's a fundamentalist takeover happening in evangelicalism. <laughs> Let's go back to our roots. I'm like, hmm, this sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so so I know this is kind of like one of your expertise. Can you kind of give us what is the the formation of the evangelical? I've heard stories of evangelicalism was formed over, over um, being pro-slavery, but in 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 the mm-hmm. book, you know, um, discovering an evangelical heritage, he talks about how it was really founded on abolitionism. So, can you kind of give us some of these elements that are happening that kind of form the evangelical movement? Sure. And uh, before I begin, just give a caveat: I'm not a like a traditional historian. I really want to become that, <laughs> but like. Kristen Dumez, who wrote Jesus and John Wayne, like Donald Dayton, these are historians, right? I have a deep love and passion for it as a pastor. And so, you know, before I say anything, (laughs) I hope that it's an invitation to go read those people, right? Sure, (laughs) sure. We're doing incredible academic work. This is kind of an appetizer to like wet your wet your whistle and to go and get uh, more deeply involved in that history. All right. But some of the things that I've found in early evangelicalism is how you cannot separate the movement from what's happening in broader society. Um, So one of the elements, and there's so much, history is so complicated Mm, and complex, but I think some of the highlights can really help us at least get a start in understanding some of those movements. One of the things, so we've all heard of like the first and second great awakening, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the first great awakening happens, the spiritual fervor um, in, in American life, but uh, both of those uh, awakenings have that element, that identity, a spiritual awakening in the American religious atmosphere that overtakes the, the country. It's just an incredible wide sweeping awakening. What happens though, is both of those awakenings happen prior to a massive anxiety and they're they're the byproducts of a massive anxiety in the nation so the first great awakening happens right before the revolutionary war Uh, so you have this this breaking away from british rule all of these questions about who we are as a nation are on the forefront of everyone's minds and what year are we here What, what what year are we talking about so we're revolutionary war is like 
early, you know, the 17, early to late 1700s, right? Cool. And then the, the second Great Awakening happens right before the Civil War. Hmm. So 1800s to late 1800s, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you're seeing this massive renewal and questions about authority. Authority is really the central point for both awakenings. Hmm. Now, and I, I want to, for the sake of our purposes for our podcast today, I want to yeah. look at the second great awakening the most, because that's really where you can find some of the strongest roots to evangelicalism. Um, and evangelicalism, just a basic definition is those who want to evangelize, to bring about uh, the gospel message to the people. Um, they're not keeping it to themselves. They're, they're actually embodying that in the culture, right? So they're, they're not an insular people. They really are breaking out into the streets and, and preaching this message of salvation in Christ. So one question for you, just so I have my yeah. timeline, right? Cause I'm not good with dates or timelines. Sure. So I'm sure. going to, you know, explain it to me like, like I'm five, but up until the second great awakening, are there self-identified evangelicals in society at this point, or is that not even really a term that, that we see being used? Yeah, I, the more, and and people can correct me on this if I'm wrong, the more that I study this, the more I'm finding that evangelicalism is a term that historians use to describe this specific movement, um, but they do emphasize evangelism. So they're using that word, we are to evangelize, mm -hmm. right? Evangelizing the person, the heart, the soul, that is a is a definite foundational term for what people they would know themselves as revivalists like uh, charles finney yes, who's okay. one of you know who's one of the founders of evangelicalism they would know themselves as revivalists during that time okay that's so, helpful great great question there um, but this question of authority is 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 so central to the movement because one of the the things that's happening there of course is this dialogue over slavery right? And how central it is to American life. And yeah. when you have a Protestant movement, right, that is already questioning Catholicism of, of Britain, you mm. are fundamentally asking those questions of authority in regards to every aspect of life. And so you have Charles Finney coming along and saying, hey, if, if we are not to be, uh, have any allegiance except for to Jesus, then we can't have women have their first allegiance to men in marriage. It has to be to Jesus first. And oh, men dang. have their allegiance to Jesus first. So there you go. Like the first movement for women's suffrage and abolition there. Uh, uh, people, no matter the color of their skin, shouldn't have their first allegiance to a slave owner. And so, of course, revivalists are like, hey, that's, that is in direct violation to the direct allegiance we're supposed to have to Jesus. So they became mm -hmm. anti-slavery right away, right? They became anti-owning uh, women as property and marriage, and they became anti-capitalist, uh, really. They became the forerunners for unionists. Some of the richest evangelicals, like um, uh, Louis Tuppen, he's a, he, he is an incredible figure to look into for a wealthy early evangelical who was a reformer. Um, but he was a silk merchant and he made a million dollars with his brother. Um, he made a million dollars a year in wow. the, in the mid 1800s. So that's, right. that's right. incredible. And he was the, the primary figure in freeing, uh, the, the, the inhabitants of the slave ship Amistad, 
which the Steven Spielberg movie does not highlight at all. Mm. They make John Quincy Adams the star of the movie when actually Lewis Tuppen was the was the evangelical Christian who led to setting that that ship free and bringing them the inhabitants back to Africa. Wow. Um, because and and advocated uh, violating all the slave laws of, of the time, right? And he funded, he bankrolled it all. So this uh, guy is like he's like the V for Vendetta, like like bank at this point, you know? <laughs> like yeah, like we're absolutely. gonna fund the we're gonna fund the rebellion because this yeah. is just wrong. Exactly, because they they deeply believed that that putting anything above your allegiance to Christ was a sin that would impact all of society. Hmm. And so they were they were so pragmatic on reforming society and and ironically, given what we hear today as our view of a Christian nation. Right there. That was actually why they did that. They wanted to see society become more Christian, Hmm. but they did that through reforming oppressive systems over those who especially those who oppressed the poor, the marginalized and, and women. So let me make sure I I hear you. So you're saying that early evangelicals were godless socialist Marxists who wanted to destroy America and ruin everything via CRT. (laughs) Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. They were were woke. They they actually called themselves woke during (laughs) that time. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so very heavy social focus, though, like right out out of the gate. It's like, hey, we should help reform society to be better. Right. And, and, and to keep in mind in this historical context, you don't have words like capitalism floating around. You don't have words like socialism. Communism wasn't even an idea in the, like, you don't have Karl Marx, like the, the, the Soviet Union, none of these things that we would talk about today that we would fear is actually in the mindset of that time. And so this, these these things would take more of a theological debate on what are we becoming as a society, right? Who are we becoming as Christians in the society? Yeah. And we need to take, it was so optimistic. They were so positive that with this awakening, we could actually make this a utopian society where everyone is actually free, no matter their sex, no matter the color of their skin, wow. no, no matter their place in, in society, whether rich or poor, we could all work towards the good of each other in this culture. Like that's loving your neighbor, right? That was an essential part of of their movement. Right. Interestingly enough, have you heard of the, of the movement of spiritualism uh, during this time? Vaguely, vaguely. So spiritualism was a massive movement that was even more extreme in reforming society in that they bypassed the authority of scripture and the church to connect directly to the dead. So they would hold seances. They would they would have these uh, these wrappings around the house where they could hear and communicate with the dead. Abraham Lincoln and his wife actually were big spiritualists. They would bring them in to talk to their dead their dead kids and things like that. But that was widespread, and it it focused on uh, black women and white women who were young as the forerunners of that movement. Because they fit this picture of purity in the culture, this this like idea where God and the spirits could actually communicate through these pure virgins 
the best in society. And so they actually led this abolitionist movement. Um, and Frank, uh, Frederick Douglass actually pu uh, published uh, a huge swath of their work in his newspaper um, because of this incredible awakening in the spiritualist movement. So like, if you wanted to offshoot all authority, what better way than just to connect to the dead and the spirits of those who left behind? They would hold seances with Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson. And it's like, hey, these guys are talking to us now. And so you need to listen. You now, need to listen to the reforms that they're they're bringing about. It, when you say that word spiritualism in our context, yeah. I think of like New Ageism, you know, things like that. Sure. Are you are you talking about like spiritualism in the context of, of Christianity, or is this like its own thing? So it's its own thing that actually uses a lot of Christian tenets. Interesting. Um, and it did evolve into what we know as this New Age movement today, like separate oh, from wow. that. Okay. But many many Christians like Abraham Lincoln, you know, like Protestants would be involved in the spiritualist movement. And that was actually a side product of the great awakening, wow. which is why I mentioned it. So like, it's all going on at the same time, what Protestant Christians would call revival spiritualists would call spiritual fervor. Huh. Um, right. So that whole dialogue is going on in, in the midst of, so it's, it's an interesting way of seeing what kind of reforms were going on. They had these same purposes, though, of seeing women uh, set free from these these legal caste societies that would literally treat them like property. Right, and the same right. with slavery as well, as well as the econo economy that would just bulldoze the poor. Now, in the grand scheme of, of what's happening in the culture in like the 1800s, this is, I mean, is this still seen as, as like a, almost like, like, like a fringe radical movement because slavery is widespread. It's popular, right? right? Um, right. Uh, women, uh, you know, being second-class citizens is, is kind of the dominant viewpoint. So there has to be a Protestant, or I, I should say a Christian movement that's also saying we're opposed to what these crazy revivalists are doing. Yeah. Is, is, that, is, that, is, that, is that true? You're, you're absolutely right. So the, the, the growth of this, yeah, yeah, just— Pat yourself on the back. The growth of this movement is alongside this uh, this dominating movement of what's called old school Calvinism, and old school Calvinism led to the founding of one of the biggest institutions at the time, which was Princeton um, University. Yes. Okay. And, and they were producing missionaries and pastors at the time that were just infiltrating the landscape with this very reformed, very predestined centered theology of old school Calvinism. And they absolutely despised the Charles Finney's and the, the abolitionists. Uh, um, what's, what's his name? Uh, Charles Hodge. Yes. He, he's a prominent figure in the, in the Princeton university. And he said that, that uh, Christianity was never designed to uproot institutions and and tear down america you can't attack something he literally said you can't attack something so fundamental wow. to the way america works which wow. is slavery wow that is that is god's will it's predestined to be this way right it's so, written exactly so for you to question that institution and in america which is god's chosen land you are questioning god um and so you're, it's, Christianity isn't meant to tear those things apart. It's meant to live within them until Christ returns. Wow. And, okay, th this makes more sense because, um, 
you know, as I read that book, Discovering an Evangelical Heritage, I, he, he, the author is kind of hinting at these things. He talks about Princeton and, and about Hodge right. and just how they're really, they really look down on these revivalists. And I think part of that is because, and again, tell me if I'm wrong, there seems to be this, at least perception in the, in the culture that, that these uh, old school Calvinists are more intellectual and these revivalists are just more like almost backwoods a little bit. Is yep. that kind of, is, yeah. is, is that the, the, the case? Yeah, and I think that's the reputation they gain because of their questioning of, of authority. For example, uh, George Whitfield and several other itinerant preachers were actually taking to preaching in fields, which was a brand new thing, instead of like church halls, which is the traditional norm, right? right. So when you have people like putting up tents like Charles Finney and having these tent revival meetings in the Great Awakening, well, old school Calvinists would say, no, like spiritual activity only takes place in the church sanctuary mm. around the, the sacraments, around the church table, right? You can't have preaching separate from that. And so they get this sort of backwoods uh, hillbilly reputation yeah. Yeah. because they're bucking the authority of what was, right? Right. And, and so, and it gets really messy from there. Uh, the, the, the founder of Oberlin College. Yes, I want to get to Oberlin. Yeah. yeah, Oberlin College is doing the exact opposite where, you know, the, they are accepting women at the same rate they're accepting men, people of color from the beginning. And they become a place on the Underground Railroad for right. people to break the laws of the land right. to be free from slavery I, on the way up to Canada, right? I think it's so important to mention this because we're in such a culture now where law and order is key. You, you, you don't break the law. But these right. early evangelicals recognized how okay. unjust the law was and said, no, no, no. If our allegiance yep. is to a risen king, then these laws must be reformed. And no, we right. will, we will. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like civil disobedience, right? Like we're not going to be violent. However, right. we are going to resist and we are going to do what we can for the for for the people who are literally being oppressed right now right yeah there was a there was a beautiful article i love where an early feminist who her name is mrs stone and she became the laughing stock of uh, mainstream christianity at that time huh. she published in her paper on the her wedding day that that was signed by both her and her husband that this marriage is not an institution where i become property <laughs> Yes, right. Yes. And she's like, I am not the property of my husband. And my husband needs to understand that we are equal in this relationship. And right. we are going to be an example that we are not going to abide by that marriage law of the day right. publicly. Right. Like you, you talk about the repercussions and what we would call persecution today. Right. Fellow Christians like um, who's, who's the guy we talked about with Amasad, Lewis Tappan. He, he, in the midst of the Amistad case, his Christian neighbors came and drug all of his furniture out of his house and set it on fire in the middle of the streets. Wow. And in protest of their protest, he just <laughs> let all of the, the ashes be and left the doors open to his house and said, if you think that my, my value is in these material possessions, you have another thing coming. Wow. So they slept on the floor because they burned his bed and then he got up every day to go fight slavery. Still. It's so like, what else left is they're going to burn? <laughs> Me? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So, wow. Okay. You know, it, it, it's, it's refreshing to hear this because I think a lot of us, and for a good reason, obviously evangelicalism yeah. is not known for that today. And there's a long, I mean, that that's one of those, like, it's a four part episode, you know, like part sure. one, part two, there's sure. so much there. Right. Yeah. But it's, 
at least in like these foundational moments, evangelicals were the rebels of the yeah. Christian tradition in America. Yeah. They were not favored. They they were not looked highly upon. Right. The right. Insta- the establishment really thought they were problematic, right? <laughs> Talk about Oberlin College though because I re- yeah. I remember reading in the book, I'm like this college is just they're they're just they're breaking all the rules. I right. think the book says that 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 they were the first in in America to ordain women, uh mm-hmm. which was like unheard of, you know. And yep. also, you know, uh, they 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 would use their money and their funding for the underground railroad. Give me some more details yeah. about Oberlin. Yeah, so Charles Finney had a huge uh, impact on Oberlin. I think he served as their president for for a time, if I'm not mistaken. But it was his convictions that really shaped Oberlin to be a fountain of activism. And I I know that they have a relationship with the founder of Wheaton College, who was also a radical evangelical reformer. Um, So look into the founder of Wheaton College as well, because that that founder was just as what we would call radical today as Charles Finney and some some others of, of his Yes, days. that's right. That's right. They yeah. were kind of like almost linked together, I think. I think the guy from Wheaton helped kind of fund Oberlin at one point, if right, I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. And so Oberlin kind of became this, this fountainhead for activists. Like uh, their their student body would be known for uh, holding protests. They would be known for getting arrested for literally taking slaves and their families off of plantations at their own expense. Wow! In the midst of the semester, right? <laughs> right? Dang! They were, they were the first ones to be like they had no problem admitting free free black people to their school. Um, they had no problem with interracial dating. They had no problem with um, with with the the sexes talking to each other, like uh, actually like, like just breaking all sorts of social norms in that right. day. Right. Um, and they became this fountainhead for leading the way in academic circles. This 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 evangelical reform movement. It was just a fountainhead for that. And it's, it's, uh, it's place on the, on the underground railroad cannot be under understated. It's, it did such prominent work in that endeavor. So spring is basically a second holiday season, mother's day, father's day, weddings, the list goes on. And what better way to celebrate them than with Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. Drizzly is the easiest way to shop local stores and compare prices on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered to your door. Download the app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. For the Millers, movie nights were once tradition. Now Sarah could hardly get through the opening credits. Not on that old couch. But one day while shopping on QVC.com, she learned Lazy Boy recliners had slimmed down a bit. And in just a few clicks, Sarah got her Lazy Boy chair and a popcorn maker and a soundbar by Bose. And with one quick trip to QVC.com, Movie Night and Sarah's Back were saved. Shop QVC.com podcast and use code QVC20podcast for $20 off $40 for new customers. This is shopping brought to life. I I believe again from what I've read and I have not read as much as you have the, the these new evangelicals were like a better I guess old evangelicals you know sure. they were also very pious like the book talks about how you know they wouldn't drink alcohol they wouldn't yep. even drink coffee like they were very they would wear very simple clothing they were yeah. they were extremely devoted 
um, in ways that I think for me right now would almost kind of trigger me, you know, like, right? oh my God, you know, like I, I've come, I'm trying to come out of this, you know, I would yeah. label it fundamentalism to them. <laughs> they, they labeled it radicalism. Right? right. So can you kind of talk about that kind of, for me, it, it lives in two different camps, this idea of like they're super sure. pious individually while also fighting for social justice issues. Right. But right. to them, it was like, yeah, they're one of the same. Break that down right. for me. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you, let me answer your question with a question. When right. you look at Shane Claiborne's crazy outfits, this right. pants especially, yeah. what do you think? Radical. I love the right. dude. I'm challenged. I'm like, should I start making my own pants? Like, it, that, that is a good point, Ben, because if Shane Claiborne's like, in devotion to Jesus, I don't drink coffee, I'd be like, should I stop drinking coffee? <laughs> you, you know, coffee is what I take issue with because he brews it. <laughs> of course. Got to throw the right. dad joke in there. Right. God, God brews it all the time. Um yeah, I think that's such an important trademark. So let me let me just give you a little personal uh, tie-in with that. Yeah, I I was educated in the Church of the Nazarene, and that's one of their like cardinal um, convictions is is in abstaining from alcohol. And there's several other evangelical denominations that abstain from alcohol, yep. but that that's because they were founded during the Prohibition era or during times like the Great Awakening, right? Yeah. And the reason why, like you would hear them talk about not smoking, like and being involved with tobacco, don't drink alcohol, don't dance, don't go to speakeasies and play cards, right. like all of these things, don't wear plain clothing, don't wear jewelry. Well, during the 50s and 60s, the Church of the Nazarene became this place where you, they would ask women to put all of their jewelry in the tithing plate as it went by, as a way of saying how holy and pure they are in the presence of God, wow. which is completely opposed to like the convictions of early evangelicals or alcohol, for example, they would demonize people who would drink alcohol just because of the substance itself, rather than what that substance represented. Hmm. So early evangelicals, what they, their stance was, we are not going to participate in the tobacco industry, not because of tobacco, <laughs> but because of what it's doing to the poor. Oh. We're not going to participate in the alcohol industry wow. because of what alcohol industry is doing to the poor. We're not going to go watch wow. movies because it's a waste of time. It takes us away from serving the poor. We're not mm. going to go gamble and play cards because it takes our resources away from what? Serving the poor. So they were radicals in that every single part of their life, their economy, their spirituality, their thought life had to be devoted to making the world a better place, especially wow. for the poor, the oppressed, and the marginalized. I hope the audience out there has their jaw dropped at that. Because <laughs> to be honest with you, that makes so much sense now, Absolutely. but for decades, I just thought about it as legalism, you know, like, yeah. because yeah. that that's kind of what it morphed into, like you said, in the 50s and 60s sure. and so on. So, but to think about it in, in, in like, no, 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 the industry is immoral. The industry is oppressive, you know, therefore I will resist, right? As a right. way of protest almost, sure. it brings about this like... I'm going to use Christian words out there, friends. So don't don't get triggered too hard. But it brings about this like countercultural idea, right? Like, oh no, no, no. If the culture is is mega everything, more stuff, cheap wages, cheap labor, we want to we want to buck that narrative, and we will start by doing a full inventory of how our body presence 
contributes to that system. And if yeah. it does, we want to stop it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think wow. what, you're, what you're hitting on there is so important because as time went on, sin became in Christian circles, especially old school Calvinism. And I'm not dinging on all Calvinists, just this old school historical Calvinism. Just Mark what, Driscoll, old school Calvinist, right? <laughs> old school Princeton Calvinism <laughs> right, of the time. Right. As time went on, and especially as fundamentalism came into the scene, we have sin moving from a societal um, uh, curse over the world since the mm. fall, like Charles Finney would understand it, to save people from, to an individual responsibility. So smoking, dancing, drinking alcohol, that became the remnants of personal individual sin. Mm rather than the byproducts of, of society sinning together, right? Huh. And, and oppressing the poor, which is much more of what Jesus would see as sin. Like his first sermon, and I, I can't get enough of his first sermon. His first sermon in the tabernacle, he took the scroll of Isaiah and he said, behold, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor, to set captives free, to liberate the oppressed, to bring about the year of the Lord's favor, which is Jubilee, which is redistribution of wealth and to bring sight to the blind. And he's like, today it is fulfilled in your midst. And they tried to stone it. <laughs> All like, I hear is Marxism. Marx, right. All Marx, you Marx, hear is Marx. Exactly. <laughs> but that's really the mission mm. of these early evangelicals, that they wanted to see people restored and saved from these the sin that was devouring the culture around them. Talk to me about how this evangelical movement impacted the church. Like I know a lot of I know that for them slavery was like the issue right it was like yeah. listen we can see it as plain as day this is immoral it's un whatever unbiblical and a lot of churches like i'm thinking about the methodist church you know i think that that that, that they kind of refounded off of abolitionism yeah. and then yeah. they kind of went back the other way because yeah. of uh what's the term where people can buy their pews they can like pay to buy pews. Oh yeah, I'm he talks about that in the book. I know but what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and then and then they the Methodist Church essentially said, well, we can we can get more wealthy people in here to make more money, and then there was a big split. Oh, can you kind yes. of bring us through some of this, like how sure. the evangelicals were impacting even church culture? Yeah, there's there's two themes I think I'd want to touch on with that. One, with every reform movement, just like just like with what we're talking about with like smoking, drinking, and some of those social mores. Yeah. With every reform movement, those who you're liberating become lifted up, right? Yes, right. They actually become part of the middle class then, right? So those that you have liberated actually want to keep their their newfound freedoms, their newfound rights. And what can happen if, if a movement isn't careful, then they can start to demonize the very people that they were for, which is the poor and the oppressed, as if they are a threat to the resources they've found, right? Yeah. yeah. So like, then the next generation wants to take care of their babies. They, they don't smoke, they don't drink. So they feel like they have all of those boxes checked. Yeah. Now they just want to live a quiet, peaceful, private life. Right. Um, and so movements can tend to go that direction if if they're not careful and get involved in things like uh, bringing in more wealth and, and money to maintain that status quo. And then they become part of the problem. They right. become part of the people that perpetuate that status quo that, again, demonizes the poor and, and the oppressed. 
Right. And we see that even like in the in the biblical narrative with the Jewish people, right? They go from being the oppressed to then becoming the oppressor. That's one of the yeah. big it's like yeah. it, it, it's a cycle almost in life that everyone has to be careful of right. uh, because it's easy to do. But, you know, as far as like these evangelicals, so now like this this radical faction is breaking out. It's gaining some traction. They've Oberlin College. How is it affecting the church, though? Like how is it affecting like church denominations at the time? Are are these evangelicals starting their own, you know, denominations or are they kind of infiltrating what's there and saying, you know, we, we want protests here. We need to fight and we need right. to take a stand. What yeah. is the dynamic at play? Sure. I, and it, I would say the early roots, the word evangelical is difficult to define as a like denomination. Like we would define a denomination as people around a certain sect of creeds, right? Yeah. Evangelicalism is is inherently defined as a movement in these early days, right? right? So like where a denomination may be evangelical, they may not necessarily be Wesleyan or Calvinist in theology, right? But they do want to evangelize um, and, and shape the culture around them. Hmm. And that's, that's really the defining trademark is to preach the gospel, no matter where you're coming from, um, and and uh, transform society around you. And so that's really how it's impacting the churches. It's actually influencing church uh, doctrine moving forward. So like the Wesleyan holiness movement, the Arminian movement, they became very centralized in, we want to radically transform society and liberate the poor, be there for the oppressed and the marginalized. And so the Methodists were really on the forefront of that and were really impacted by that sort of movement. Whereas more of the reformed movements, uh, like in the South and things like that, took kind of the opposite approach to that. Um, And so the Methodists over time evolved into the middle class, the rich middle class, and then movements like the Church of the Nazarene broke off from them because they became the wealthy and they wanted to have radical love for the poor. But now we're seeing the Church of the Nazarene move in that direction, right? So it ebbs yeah. and flows throughout history, but that 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 evangelical re- reformation spirit is, is what we need to be looking for, right? Mm. What we need to be looking for to revive. And I think that's what you're talking about with new evangelical is you want to be the new reformers, perhaps from the evangelical movement we've inherited to yeah. reclaim that spirit of evangelical reform. Well, yeah, I mean, that's why I always say, well, not always, but it's in my bio, you know, we're, we're learning backwards to go forwards. Like right. if we can exactly. look back throughout history, we see that what is deemed radical today is not yeah. radical at all. There's actually yeah. a rich even evangelical tradition of yeah, people who absolutely. who were bucking the trend from the beginning yeah. and yeah. had their people calling them divisive and evil mm-hmm. and whatever, whatever the slurs were for their day, right. they had them and they right. said, exactly. we don't care, you know, like this is more important. And I yeah. think that, I think that's an interesting correlation because yeah. obviously, I mean, and again, for the listeners out there, I'm sure a lot of them are listening being like, wait, that's my, that's the evangelical heritage because yeah. all they think about are the past maybe you know eight, six to ten years with Trump and the insurrection and now right. things are getting just worse and worse as far as the CRT yeah. boogeyman you know yeah. system that has been as we've seen from conservative conservative evangelicals intentionally manufactured they I mean that's right. actually words off you know from their own tweets and so a lot of us are like well. 
I guess I guess what I'm saying, Ben, is that I can understand why people would say I want nothing to do with evangelicals. Right. Like I, I get right. it, I do, yeah. right? But if we can like dig through the dirt and find that diamond that's always kind of been there and yeah. bring that back and say, actually, these people were way more open. They were way more interested in in in, in the gospel in the social sense and also individual, but also social. Right. And they were funding it. And like you said, th- th- those really rich people, I, f- I forgot their names, yeah. you know, making tons of money and saying, how can we do good? How can we give it away? How can we fund, yeah. you know, things like that? That is, Absolutely. I think, just so attractive to me to want to bring back. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it even like knowing that history is a is a two edged sword because like knowing that that's possible yeah. brings about so much pain in what we've abandoned right. and, and what is known as evangelicalism today. And I I think whole, like the Holy Post podcasts and resources like that that are actually showing the yeah. distinctions between fundamentalism, neo evangelicalism, and evangelicalism historically it yeah. is so important because once we know that identity. And we can know how to move forward and what we want to reclaim because I've seen so many and I've seen tendencies in myself to where I just want to abandon it all. Like it doesn't feel like anything can be reclaimed, but history really helps to show that no, like a lot of our ancestors in the American context were actually embodying the faith that we really want, that we were actually taught to believe as kids growing up in the church. Right. And we want to see transformed in our culture today. No, I totally agree. It's interesting because, you know, Charles Finney, I think he's, he's kind of like one of the, the major founders of really charis- charismatic or pe- uh, Pentecostalism, I guess is a better way of putting sure. it. Um, sure. And it's funny because now I have so many problems with oh, Pentecostalism. Yeah. And, and, you know, like he started the, the altar call. That was yeah. really his thing. These right. these very in, uh, emotional revivals. And, and Charles was very open about it. I mean, he would say, right. I'm, I'm using the the senses right i'm using emotion i'm using right. my voice to 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 well up someone's emotions to come to christ so it's not like he was hiding it and saying oh yeah. that that that's the holy spirit it was very transparent right. like no we're using emotions here and yeah. so it's hard for me to kind of reconcile these two things because on one hand i'm like man finney you sly dog you rebel <laughs> you know just like just sticking it to those calvinists but on the other hand i'm like but finney the foundation you laid gave us people like sean foyt <laughs> And I'm just like, or like, you know, like, like the AG, right? And it's, it's tough because I I think the reason why it's important to have these conversations is because it's easy just to make things so black and white, right? It's easy to say, oh, Charles Finley was awesome or he was terrible. And the answer is probably somewhere in between. Like he did so much good, you know, as far as I know, he had no scandal. He wasn't abusing women. Right. Right. But also some of the foundational stuff he he laid down kind of birthed some problems later on, but that's every, everyone has that, right? Like every movement is going to have things that are going to get critiqued and changed. Right. Right. I, one of, one of my favorite podcasters to listen to, besides you (laughs) thank you thank you (laughs) is is, uh aaron mankey i don't know if you have listened to Uh, i don't he's a he's historical but he does podcasts that are on the intersection of the historical and the dark so he covers a lot of spiritualism in his podcast called unobscured he has a great podcast called lore um, but he looks at the movement of religion in american life and beyond as well it's it's really good but one of the things that he says all the time about history is that we like to try to like separate and bifurcate history into really easy digestible segments but it's really a snarled knot like like in in wood 
you know, yeah. all of these things that are inter intertwined. Nothing's really great. Nothing's really bad. There's incredible things that happen, but it's also tied to some really terrible things too. Right. And so understanding the nuances uh, of of history uh, helps us to understand the nuances today. No, you're right. I'm I'm, I'm even thinking about the book um, Anti Intellectualism in American Life. Yeah. Right. The oh, author man. rips the Finneys of the world a new one. <laughs> I mean, he's just yeah, like absolutely. these guys were anti intellectualists. And I, so I read that book first, or I read I read part of it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, these these charismatics. Look at their foundation. It's all just stupidity, right? And then I read in in discovering an evangelical heritage that Finney's like anti anti slavery and egalitarian. Yeah. I'm like. He's awesome. So yeah. <laughs> I think that just like shows depending on what lens you're looking through, sure. it's nuanced, it's complicated. It, it's not yeah. always as, as clean as we want to right. make it. So right. let me ask you this. We had about 15 minutes left and you know, you, I know that, that there's so much more to it and I'll, sure. I'll, I'll put that book in, in the show notes. It's such a good book for anyone who wants an easy read. It's like all the good stuff in like 110 pages. I mean, yep. anyone could read it. It's super readable. In in like a big picture, you know, view for you, Ben. How do we end up here? Like, how do we go from point A? Now, I I know from what I can gather, the Enlightenment has something to do with it. The the fundamentalist movement of like this this, this biblical literacy, uh, yeah. li literal see, literalism, you know? yeah. yeah, literalism, uh, kind of comes into play of like, no, we have to compete with with the scientific mind. So the Bible, the Bible's our scientific textbook, you know. Right. I mean, what are some of like the big highlights of kind of how we ended up with like this evangelical yeah. movement now? Yeah, I think that's such a needed and important question. Because like, how do we get from the Charles Finney being called evangelical in his day to like the religious right, like what we've been seeing recently right, right, in exactly. Christian culture? Uh, and I would say there's a few factors there. One with the old school Calvinism and how that morphed throughout time and grew into a huge movement that's still today. Fundamentalism is a huge uh part of that as well. But I, I think one of the biggest things, two, two big things I want to highlight before we get uh, before we're done. Okay. One is that they had this vision of reforming American society pre-Civil War. And after Civil War, they saw the women's suffrage movement. They saw the abolishment of slavery. Um, they saw all of these things kind of taking coming to fruition. And yet they realized it's almost soberly that it's much more difficult than they ever thought possible. Like even though slavery is abolished in swoops in the Ku Klux Klan and like yeah. Jim Crow laws and all these things. And so right. they became less, less convinced that their utopia could actually be realized. Right. Yeah. And they are inheriting wealth and their society is becoming more industrialized and all, all of these factors that kind of make Christianity more of it institutionalized. And, and they had just fought so hard pre-civil war to become like, to, to have this utopia realized and they got that wind knocked out of their sails mm. um, overall. And yet black people were still suffering. Women still didn't have the right to vote. Like all of these things were still not yet realized, right? Right. And um, if, if you're seeing the industrial revolution happen, you're seeing crazy yeah. uh, labor, you're seeing kids being worked to death. Right. So yeah. you're probably seeing uh, uh, almost maybe comparatively like like another ugly side of human of humanity yes. where you're like, wait, yeah. we worked so hard. And now this monstrosity is right in front of us. Right. And talk about being so convinced that that could be realized and then seeing that happen. Yeah. Right. That's right. going to have a major impact on your theology. And then yeah. in right in the smack dab in the middle of that, like 
Civil War, all of these legislations, right in the early 1900s, they hear this narrative of this guy named John Darby, who got his head knocked off riding a horse, was held up sick and had this new vision of scripture where it wasn't just people that were called to embody the kingdom of God as the church, but as actually nations. And America was the chosen nation for God to embody his presence on the world. And the, he, he coined this phrase called the rapture during that time. And this really? is when, this is when premillennialism just invades Christianity. Yes. Yes. And so beforehand, Charles Finney, Wesleyans, they're all post-trib where they believe that they are making the way for the Lord. So they need to make society great. Like the poor need to be set free. Captives need to be liberated. The oppressed need to be sanctified and and brought out of their oppression. Whereas pre-trib, they believe, well, all the saints are going to be raptured anyways, and Jesus is going to come back and destroy all of this. Right. And so they become much more focused on sin and evil as signs of the end, rather than being signs of the end themselves and liberating the oppressed and the marginalized. And so, like, yes. dispensationalism just takes over the American scene and transforms evangelicalism in some irreparable ways. Let's pause there for a second. Okay. I, I forgot about that That. Very yeah. big, like Shoot. you know, like you glacier detail, that. right? Yes. Like Major. that that moment shifted in the minds of Christians what Absolutely. it means to be a Christian, right? Well, yeah. the world almost this the sense of the world has to get worse and worse. And yep. the worse it gets, the closer we exactly. are to the return. Right. As opposed exactly. to no, no, no. As we make, as we, as we prepare the way for the Lord, yes. and, and we liberate, right, and we yes. become like reflections of 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 Jesus on earth. That ushers in, you know, the coming age, and right. that that detail we have inherited, and it, it's silent. A lot of us don't know where right. it comes from, but you're right. absolutely right. Darby is the catalyst for that huge shift that has has really gave the the fruit of that has been the uh, Left Behind series. It's yeah. been this How idea. Planet Earth, like yes. horrible thing. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I would even say it has now contributed to, to anti-global warring, you know, folks. Oh, uh, oh no, no, it's not true. You know, it's right. just a big globalist, you know, whatever, you know, um, uh, conspiracy. Right. And it's because things have to get worse and worse. And that's just right. proof. Well, God's coming back any yeah. day. I had I had somebody wow. uh, quite a bit ago tell me that even if global warming is true, good, because right. it means the destruction of the planet is more imminent, which means Christ's return is close. So, like, the signs of the ends are wars and rumors of wars and all of these horrible things, the plagues and all of this stuff. They take those as, like, this is a good sign. Jesus return is imminent rather than trying to reform society to make it look more like the kingdom Jesus is bringing here. <laughs> right. No, you're so right. <laughs> it's, it's literally ass backwards. I mean, how else can you say it? It, it yeah. is. It's totally yeah. topsy-turvy. All right. Yeah. So, so you have that moment and yeah. then continue on. I'm listening. <laughs> yeah. So you have that huge moment and that's really like fundamentalism it shoots out of dispensationalism as well. And like, it just has like, again, that snarled knot it's, it's yeah. got its yeah. tentacles into everything. And as you, as you go through the, like you have this massive anxiety again, uh, that, that John Darby is looking at the sinking of the Titanic, the brewing of world war one, like all of these things lead to what many scholars are calling a third 
great awakening, but it's, it's not positive. Like dispensationalism is this new spiritual fervor where preaching changes. When you think that the, the rapture is imminent, your preaching of the gospel is to save their soul for Jesus to rapture them rather than taking care of any of their societal ills. Like you don't care that people are in poverty because that's a sign that the end is coming. You need to save their soul, which is the most prominent thing so that Jesus can rapture them. Whereas this other movement continued forward, like with the Salvation Army and a couple of other movements where they're still trying to take care of the welfare of the people because they want it to be a reflection of Christ's kingdom. Right. Um, wow. In, in so, yeah, it, it, that that's and that's where we hear that idea. Well, better someone, you know, have a little bit of suffering now and in the afterlife be in bliss forever than the right. opposite, right? Almost like this right. idea of like of like they're they're somehow opposed. Like yeah. someone's, you know, theoretical or potential spiritual destination is is at odds with whatever their lot in this life is and we can't try and fix both right or what they'll say is like well if we feed people and they burn in hell forever like is that really important and it's like wow what a twisted theology but at the same time you can see how when you grab certain verses and grab certain you know perspectives and 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 you weave this new quilt how it can make sense right but you have to leave it a certain way. Absolutely. I I agree. I think one of the threads of that quilt is one of the negative byproducts of seeing slavery abolished and women gaining more rights. um, The poor getting uh, further ahead in society is that they kind of believed that many, many Christians believed that the uh, America became more Christian, which rightly so, right? People were getting more rights. There was equi- equitable resources, sharing of, 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 of goods and things like that. And yet to believe that it's been achieved propagates this myth that we believe deeply today that America is Christian or has always been Christian, which is a worse myth, right? Right, right. Um, and so that's why you see evangelicals now trying to keep America Christian, keeping prayer in school is a huge thing, making right. sure marriage is is kept a sacrament in the legality of our government, making sure that sanctity of life is protected by the government rather than advocated for by the church and, and downplaying like government being a, a, a helper to the poor. Like, no, that's the responsibility of the church. You just legislate our morality because we need to keep our culture Christian, which is, which is just a myth from these gains that we did in a good way like bringing about the abolition of slavery and giving uh, like making sure women have the right to vote and women's suffrage, all these things that we led, we can't like say, Oh, we accomplished those things. And now we just need to keep the status quo. You see that keeping the status quo there comes from some of these small victories that we had in the past. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's really amazing how everything is super linked together, you know, and it's like you said, it's, it's, it's really it's just convoluted. It's convoluted yeah. and it's messy. And, you know, like you said, we have like all these, we have these, these like big moments, right? You have the Darby and, and the, and the rapture stuff. Then you have uh, the Jerry Falwell's kind of, you know, yep. make, make a big deal with, with, uh, with fighting desegregation. Right. And, and that's when um, John, um, not John, Jerry Falwell starts his own school. Like right when that kind of thing happens. And, yep. and, you know, again, I, I want to kind of circle back to full circle here. 
history has, as Jamar Tisby says, the receipts. Like It shows yeah. you, hey, yeah. this is kind of how we got here, and these are some pivotal moments, right. and we shouldn't repeat them. But what I'm right. afraid of more and more, Ben, to be honest with you, you know, I used to think like, you know, a couple of years ago, man, like, well, it's, it's 2015, it's 2018, it's 2020, we, we, we progressed. And I think in a lot of ways, the religious right has digressed almost more than it has in a long, long time. I agree. Um, you yeah. know, the, I'm, I'm just seeing who they support, the books that they produce, um, this us versus them, this war mentality, this, um, you know, easily gullible, um, believable conspiracy theory foundational yeah. group of people that the evangelical church will not call out, right? They're too busy calling out CRT, which we know is such a boogeyman anyway. It's yeah. so it's so mystified intentionally. Yeah. And and they really give homage to people that I'm like, these people are really, they're not, they're, they're not for their their neighbor they're not for you know the oppressed and the poor they're really for keeping white power ultimately so it's it's discouraging to see like we're kind of coming back around that circle of like wait in 50 years from now i don't know if we're going to look back and be too fond of what christianity was doing in 2021 absolutely i've been an advocate for a while now especially since 2020 that uh, evangelicalism, and really statistics are showing that that's dominantly a, a white movement now. Yeah, um, It's like reading Jamar Tibbsby, like you've got to read his his work of like uh, The Color of Compromise. So like, good. That book is just so eminent in this conversation. Totally. Because um, it also shows the dark side too of movements like The Great Awakening and and, and stuff like that. So that, that's really important. But yeah. I think, I think what I've been advocating is that evangelicalism needs to be marked and seen as its own religion and political movement. Like it is not, it is not part, it has its own identity. It has its own like funders. It has like, it's, it has its own creed like, that's plastered everywhere, all over the news and social media. Like it is its own separate movement now. And to be able to put distance between people who are trying to authentically live out their faith, like I am a Wesleyan Arminian, like I don't call myself an evangelical wow. until that term is reclaimed. And like, it's hard enough calling myself a pastor in society, <laughs> let alone sure, like, sure. like a, a, a Christian or an evangelical, right? Like, yeah, I saw a great caveat the other day. It's like, I am, I am a Christian, but I'm the love thy neighbor kind yes. not from the capital kind right right, right. It, 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 it's a you fair point have to add those caveats it's a f- um, because there are christians doing it I and mean, we saw right. christian flags in the freaking well, i'm not exactly. going to argue that but right. you understand right. so. yeah. yeah but so like making that distinction like i do deeply believe that the religious right has evolved into its own religion now and it's a civil religion it's a religion of nationalism it's doesn't have much like any sort of resemblance of early historic traditional Christianity. Right. And it is only concerned with power and control uh, in the name of Jesus, right? They're using Christ's name to galvanize that. And I think being able to just say that out loud and say, okay, like, just be honest. You are your own religion with your own gods. And, and we are trying to set ourselves apart as a distinct people to move towards loving our neighbor and being this embodiment that our evangelical forerunners really laid out for us. You know, I got to be honest, Ben, I've been thinking a lot about that personally. Like, yeah. at what point do I just say, I don't think, you know, conservative evangelicalism 
is 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 a valid Christian movement. I mean, I know that, and I don't want to sound divisive, and I, I, I believe in good faith conversations, and I, I want to talk to those people. I would love to have Vadi Bachman on, you know, talk to him about, about his book, Fault Lines, you know? But, like, the more I read those guys, and I see what they're tweeting, and I see what they're writing, and I see what their base is saying, and who they're supporting, and who they like, the more I'm like, guys, I mean... I don't know, man. Like, like you're just so far from even just a a surface level, non contextual reading of Jesus. Forget yeah. putting him in his context, right? Right. And I wrestle with that because I, I, you know, the new evangelicals were committed to good faith conversation, and right. we want more seats at the table. And I, I try to balance this tension of like. Where do you draw a boundary, right? But also, sure. like, welcome people's different perspectives if they want to engage respectfully. And right. I, I don't have an easy answer for that, but right. I, I say that because I really empathize with what you said. Because, I mean, when people are supporting and and sending and sharing people like Candace Owens, I've seen pastors share Candace oh, Owens or yeah. share Tucker Carlson. Right. I'm like, what? Again, I feel like we're in the twilight zone. What right. faith? What Jesus are we following to where you as a pastor feel like sharing Candace Owens or Tucker Carlson, you know, is a wise representative of what you stand for? Um, I I really wrestle with that big time, you know, I really do. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why I really want to advocate, like, making this distinct, because I, I, for for one, I I really want to advocate for nuance here, right? And so, like, yeah. Some people will say all liberals believe this. Well, that's right. not necessarily true, right? right. And I don't. I don't necessarily think of the religious right as traditional conservatism either, right? So, like, totally this, agree, right? And so, like, tradition. My conservative friends, who I think are very thoughtful and very articulate, and are wrestling with what that movement has done to the word conservative even and like to to their ideas of Christianity as well. And so I think reclaiming that nuance is what you're talking about, bringing people to the table to where like, let's find thoughtful conservatives to like say, yeah, I really don't like, like what that extremism is doing either. We've got to find a break. Richard Rohr did an incredible work. I don't know if you've read that sins of conservatives and sins of liberals oh i haven't from richard Rohr. it's mind well i'll send it to you later yeah, send over but to it, me. it's, it's mind-blowing um and and i think one of those things is to be really honest with the discrepancies of our own movement like we are all functioning under one heresy or another at every moment right right and the moment we're honest with that yeah. i think the moment we are able to protect ourselves from extremism because it's like we don't want to go down the extremist path right now we're dealing with a religious right problem yeah like a religious far right problem yeah we don't have a religious far left problem in in american christianity i agree right? totally. there, there there isn't one and right. so until we have that then we can tackle that but we're so fearful of a religious left problem traditionally yeah that we kind of give religious right problems a pass and so we've got to be honest with what we're dis- 
defining here and what nuances we want to really be faithful to. I, I, Ben, I couldn't have said any better. I, I totally agree with you. I, I, I tell the account and the followers all the time, like we're not trying to be fundamentalists of the other side. It, right. And, exactly. and that that's easy. Yeah. It's easy to paint things in black and white. We yeah. have to live in the tension and we have to be willing to, to reform ourselves and to recognize right. when, when, when we're wrong. Um, but like you said, I, I'm I'm utterly convinced we don't have a far left problem in Christian thinking. We have a far right problem, yeah. and if we had a far left problem, if I had people, I, I you know what I say is if I had people waving a Biden flag on the back of their truck saying "In Biden we trust," you know, you know, I'm telling people from the pulpit how great Joe Biden is, how he's saving <laughs> America. I'd say, yeah. yeah, you got a problem, dude. You know, yeah. like I am not That's nationalism I, again. I, right, I do not identify. As a progressive, as liberal, yeah, do I have some progressive thoughts? Do I have thoughts that might line up in that right. camp? Yeah, for sure. But make no mistake, I'm not bowing the knee to the Democratic platform. Like, I don't care about the Democratic platform. I care right. about how are we, you know, modeling and reflecting Jesus well. And if, right. that hap- if that language I use happens to, in the spirit of the age, to line up with a certain political party and they want to work with me, Right. Phenomenal, because I want to, I want to, I want to work with, with you as well. But right. if it doesn't, then I'm going to speak up against it. You know, right. bottom, bottom line. So, yeah. anyway, Ben, it's great stuff, man. You know, I appreciate you coming on. I know that 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 we really, we really just um, flew people over the iceberg. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't even like touch the surface yeah. of, of this right. thing. Right. Um, you know, there's so much more to talk about, but I think for now, people can really chew on this. I know one of the sure. resources is discovering an evangelical heritage. Any other books or resources you recommend for kind of, you know, learning more about our history? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so like he, Donald Dayton actually came up with a follow-up that I think is so incredible for discovering an evangelical heritage. He also wrote Rediscovering an Evangelical Heritage, which is so incredible. So that book for sure. The one that we've already mentioned by Tamar Chit. Tibbs, I always, sorry, Jamar (laughs) Tibbs. Yeah. uh, The Color of Compromise. Um, Ibrahim X. Kendi, the yes. from the beginning, really shows how pivotal American Christianity was in the slavery movement, yes. the abolition of slavery. Um, doesn't really highlight a lot of evangelical traditions, unfortunately, but it does give you an incredible backdrop of the theological movements of the time. Yeah, you're right. Uh, anti-intellectual, anything really that um, Hofstetler um Richard Hofstetter writes, he, he has some incredible, he's a Pulitzer prize winning author, but he wrote, um, the anti-intellectualism in American life. But he also wrote some incredible things about paranoia in American politics Uh. and and the influence of that in religious life as well. Jesus and John Wayne by Kristen Dumez. Like that is probably the most recent work on where evangelicalism is today. Um, and so I, I would give those things a start and then we can take a deep dive into reading the actual like reformers themselves, like Charles Finney, reading their actual works like Charles and, and John Wesley, like yeah, these, yeah. these figures that we hear about, but we don't really actually let them speak to us through their writings. Very awesome. Much. And where can uh, people find you, Ben? Yeah, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Ben Kramer, Instagram, Twitter. I have a blog that I write every now and then. Um, yeah. So Ben, thanks for making time. I know you're a busy man, but this was awesome. I can't wait for people to hear it. Yeah. I love being with you, man. This was so, so great. Awesome. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.